Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, developing a cloud strategy and operating model with special guest Rajiv Mandel, Cloud Solution Architect at Intel. Rajiv, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Darren. Hey, so Rajiv, before we dive in into cloud strategy and operating models and things like that, let's first hear about you. Where where do you come from? What's your background? And why why in the world are you an expert in uh, in cloud? Absolutely, Darren. And again, thank you very much for having me on this uh, talk here. So my name is Rajiv Mandel, and uh, I'm one of the cloud solution architects at Intel. I joined Intel about uh, two and a half years back in the cloud team. I was uh, actually the number five uh, cloud solutions architect. I remember when you got hired in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah one of the early birds. And uh, ever since the journey has been super exciting because in this role, um, I have been able to talk to many different customers across pretty much all business verticals, both within commercial and within the public sector and also across a vast ecosystem of our uh, partners, like whether they be like ISD partners or technology partners, you know, creating specific optimized products or our system integrator partners. And in that experience, having the ability to learn about the different use cases our customers are trying to implement or migrate to the cloud, how they are looking upon their cloud journey, how they are looking upon, you know, their strategies for like hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, private cloud, and everything in between. That's super powerful because while we want our customers to architect the best on top of Intel, we also want to understand what their use cases are and what makes them successful to their customers. So that way we can, you know, bring in the, the best uh, act together from our side and from our partner side as well. Oh, okay. Um, so, so where, so I obviously you understand cloud really well. Where, where did you get all that knowledge? You didn't get it all at Intel. Right, because you haven't been here that long. Well, so, to be honest, I mean, I mean, all that knowledge is, you know, still a very small drop in the ocean because that that, that ocean is always increasing with all. It's the always increasing, yeah. Yep, but I would like to say that you know I started my you know kind of cloud exposure. Like I have been working in this industry for more than twenty three years now, but my real cloud exposure started back in twenty fifteen uh, when I was actually leading the quality engineering team in Amazon Fresh. And my first project was to launch Amazon Fresh in, in London as a grocery delivery service. And within that space, as I understood the business, but what came to mind is that how do we scale the infrastructure? How do we scale the application? How do we keep the uptime of the application? How do we monitor our application, the health in cloud, right? Because there, a lot of the products and the services that my team uh, worked on were cloud-based services. That's where I came to know about Redshift. That's what I came to know about uh, Amazon RDS. That's what I came to know about, about Lambda. So Lambda function. So that passion started right then. And I got the opportunity to talk to some of our leaders in AWS. And it, you know, it was very clear to me that if I have to stay engaged in some of the real happening things in this space, I have to be much more focused on cloud. So internally, I made a transition uh, to AWS uh, from Amazon Fresh. And I supported a lot of our healthcare and life science customers as the lead account solutions architect, kind of being their technology uh, kind of the leader from an AWS perspective and, and helping the customers not only just migrate, but also modernize applications when they're in the cloud. 
And that okay, so so you cut your teeth on AWS total right total AWS indoctrination, but I know better because you also work in Azure now, and also Google. Yeah, that that's the beauty of uh, of of Intel, and I didn't realize that when I was in AWS because. I could only talk about AWS. I had no knowledge or the need to know much about other cloud providers. I didn't have the need to know about data centers or on-premises. That was kind of outside of jurisdiction uh, per se. I didn't need to know about any of the other cloud providers as well, unless there was a super compete in- environment that I-, I was working on. Right. Also, I never needed to know about you know private cloud environments like you know De- Dell Apex or HP GreenLake, but. In the last two and a half years of my journey here at Intel, that has been the phenomenal, you know, kind of the learning, the knowledge, the whole 360 degree view that I can focus on all these different aspects, whether it is one cloud provider or multiple cloud providers, a private cloud, or even on-premises, because I have the ability to work with all these cross-functional teams within Intel and able to, you know, bring that agnostic view to the customer that really makes the customer successful in their journey. So, so that gives you a very unique position, right? Because, yeah. So, so does, and that's why you're talking to us about cloud strategy because AWS, which they should do, is going to come in and tell you everything should be running on AWS. And Microsoft's going to say the, say the same thing about Azure, but with you, you have exposure to all this, so you you understand. It has to be more strategic than just lift and shift everything over. So what kind of strategies uh, do you employ now when you're talking to Intel's customers, when you're talking to Intel's, what we call our end users, right? The people using our technology. What kind of strategies do you use uh, when approaching them? What's, you know, what, what do you do? Because you got all these tools and you know about all these different clouds, private clouds, public clouds, hybrid clouds. Um, AWS, VMware, all this, where, where do you start? Yeah. And, you know, the way I see this, Darren, is maybe 10, 15 years back, or maybe even five, five six years back, um, when, you know, when everyone got excited about cloud, a lot of our, you know, the, the, the leadership within different organizations had one strategy, cloud first. Think of cloud first. Now, that strategy is a little more prescriptive because it kind of, you know, mandates in one way to think of doing everything in the cloud. If you're creating a new project, a new application, start with cloud, right? Unless, unless there is a super strong reason not to do so. But over the years, as organizations and enterprises have taken this journey and understood kind of the values of different kind of, kind of you know, cloud environments, whether multi-cloud or hybrid cloud, something that has translated from the cloud uh, first approach is something like a cloud smart approach. And the way it resonates in my mind is that, okay, when I do a new project, when I do a new application, when I you know, want to do something you know, uh, like a, a business value, what does make sense for me? I need to think about it strategically. Like obviously, if I want to get hold of new technologies, cloud is probably the way to look for it because that's where the new technologies will be available super quickly and maybe ahead of you know, your on-premises environment. But, if I'm running my business for a long time, my business is going to stay, my users are going to expand and increase you know, exponentially, geographically, I need to think about, is there an inflection point where it makes sense for me to run that business somewhere else? Is there a constraint on data 
residency requirements? Is there a constraint on you know compliance requirements? Is there a constraint for something which is super latency sensitive, even like a fraction of a millisecond will be you know detrimental for the end user experience? So thinking of all these things together and keeping cloud in mind to make the best decision of what actually makes sense to host in cloud versus what makes sense to maybe start your initial development in cloud and then bring it back into you know some more controlled environments depending on the specific requirements of your customers and, and your products. No, I, I understand. Understanding the data, I love that. Understanding applications, data sovereignty. What benefits are there to even moving to the cloud? It sounds like a lot of work, frankly, right? To move to the cloud because I still have to architect stuff. It's not lift and shift. It's not cloud first. It's cloud smart. So in order for me to get smart, what are the benefits of using the cloud or public cloud? Uh, over what I'm doing today. I, otherwise, why move? Just because everyone else is? That doesn't that doesn't uh, do well when you're talking to the board of directors, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, absolutely, there are you know benefits of moving to the cloud where it makes sense, and when it makes sense for the phase of the project it makes sense on. So, for things like uh, like scalability, right? I mean, okay, in, so scalability. Yeah, like as we all understand in a cloud environment, it is almost like super easy to grow and shrink, right? Um, you can grow when there is demand, you can shrink when the demand goes down. And this ensures that, you know, your applications can handle different, like varying levels of traffic and varying levels of, you know, workload uh, you know, transactions without over-provisioning and under, uh, under-utilization which might be, you know, some of the constraints you will have on-premises, you know, because there is no elasticity you know, built in into the on-premises uh, way of architecting uh, software. That's one. Um, there is also the aspect of, you know, the, the, the super uh, well-known concept of CapEx versus OpEx. Because oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because in cloud, you can pay as you go, right? That's the model. And, you know, customers or organizations will pay for what they use. And this can absolutely lead to cost savings. But what we have learned over the years working with all our different customers is that it needs to be, you know, governed and monitored because cloud without the proper governance and proper monitoring, your your cost vector can, you know, increase super fast and exponentially. So, yes, cloud can be cost efficient when it is used with the proper constraints for proper governance and with the proper monitoring place. Okay, so so in order, I, I want to I touch on the cost thing, sure. right? Uh, a little bit more. Because there's been this um, big push to move to the cloud to save cost. But what you're telling me is that that's not always the case. I have to monitor that cost Absolutely. much more tightly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'll give you one example, uh, Darren. So let's say in an on-premises environment, if you are storing, you know, audit information of who is accessing when, you know, information changing, okay. log information, there is no additional cost because they already purchased whatever storage equipment you have. Right, but, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in cloud, imagine if someone has, you know, an S3 bucket in AWS where they have enabled versioning and those versions are not being parsed. And there is no need to keep those versioning. So every operation you do on the data, every change you do is going to add a new version. So 
not only you're expanding data, you are keeping so many new versions, so your storage cost will increase a lot. Same is logging, like look at all the logging information that happens right. in any cloud provider, cloud trail or cloud, you know, cloud watch. And if those, you know, audit logs or whatever logging information is not managed or, you know, not deleted when it's not needed and not managed and governed, your storage cost will also increase exponentially. And not to forget about data egress, because if you're architecting your solution in such a way that you have to get data from your cloud environment and bring that data somewhere else, there's a lot of cost associated with that data movement. So that's what I meant that, you know, it makes sense. It is cost efficient based on, you know, certain governance and certain monitoring and certain, you know, best practices that has to be built in. So that when it hits your budget alert, you can take the action. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned this because I was working with um, the Canadian government on, on several, several different cloud projects years ago. And it's when they were first starting to use cloud, they put SAP into the cloud. But not all of it went over there. Some of it stayed back in their data centers. So they were communicating between on cloud and on prem, a lot of data moving back and forth. And they blew their egress, their budget went through the roof. I mean, they blew their budget out completely because of the amount of data that was actually moving back and forth. Um, they changed their model, they moved things in. They also learned that because it's a consumption model, the cloud is a consumption model. Right. I have something running, I'm paying for it. Where in my data center, my cost to keep something up 24-7 is minuscule. I already bought the equipment, which is the biggest cost. Mm -hmm. There is some energy cost, but it's minuscule compared to my overall, you know, my overall capital expenditures that I spent. Yeah. But in the cloud, you're paying, whether you're using it or not, you're paying to have that application up and running. Yep. Right. So they changed their model. They changed the way that they thought about things. They said, well, we don't need this instance running 24-7. We only need it running 16-5, yep. 16 hours, five days a week. And they saved a lot of money by going to that approach, by turning it down or off over the weekends when no one was using it. Sure. Um, so yep. it, it, I understand the cost thing. But if you don't control it, it, it blows out of proportion very quickly. Yeah. And the other thing I think, you know, we we have seen our customers also mature as they have been taking the journey that you need to distinguish between your production environment, which is running your money-making application versus your development and test environments. Hell you yes. don't need like huge machine sizes to you know support development, then have a governance policy that will prohibit people from spinning up huge machines in development. That policies that will shut down those uh, environments maybe on weekends, on holidays and whatnot. So the thing is, yes, I mean, the, the way I see is cloud is an infinite capability place. You can do many things and everything under this, you know, kind of as the long as you have enough money. Yeah, you have to put the right controls in place. Otherwise, it's, it's just going to blow out of proportion. Yeah, no, no. I've, I've seen the same thing in, in some startups that, you know, spun up a bunch of test servers to run all their testing and left them on. And they were like, why is our bill $150,000 from Amazon? And they go back and look and they see, oh, all of our test machines are still up and running, even though we only run tests one, uh, one day a week. Well, we kept them up and running because it saved us five minutes. 
but cost you one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars. That that just doesn't make sense. So, I so would you say that cloud almost exposes bad practice, bad process, the bad way that we do development and and product uh, deployments? But perhaps I won't call it bad. The way I see, you know, would, would okay. see, that, you know, within the cloud, you can get super, you know, super smart agility. Like you can really have your development teams become very smart in agility because you now have all the tools, whether it be an, you know, tool for infrastructure provisioning as code that you can feed as code and drive through your DevOps processes in your CI/CD pipelines. You can have all the you know CI/CD tools in place, so everything is there. But the the point still remains is that you know you need to make sure that you have the right gates and the right decision points to make sure that those are being used within the constraints of, of the you know project within the requirements of the project. Um, so so it, it's it, yeah. It sounds to me then like I need some organizational change in order to change to move to the cloud because I'm operating differently. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and this is one of the biggest inhibitors still, still true probably today that, you know, training and uh, workforce enablement with the new knowledge, with the new tools, with the new learning, that is really one of the biggest, uh, you know, still kind of the biggest challenges that most enterprises have because we are all as, as developers kind of so used to doing things that we have been doing for the past many years. Right, yeah, and, yeah. And trying to learn that in a new platform and, you know, embracing that and really understanding how to use it to our advantage, that takes quite a bit of learning. And every organization, you know, I think what more we are seeing is, you know, putting in more and more emphasis and efforts in, in kind of encouraging that, encouraging that learning and, and the enablement of, you know, all the engineering teams. Um, uh, very interesting. Okay, so we've talked about some factors, cost, Scalability, um, well, and, and with costs, elasticity, right? Because I can grow and shrink what I'm using dynamically if I'm intelligent about it in the cloud, right? Because I can I can turn things off and turn them back on very easily um, if if I put the effort into place. What are some of the other benefits of of moving to cloud? That because um, otherwise, why would I change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. There are many, right? So we talked about a few, but but, but think of you know the accessibility game, right? So if I have an engineering team, you know, developing something in the cloud, they can access it anywhere where they have an internet connection. They don't need any specialized equipment or anything. So that's you know that kind of unleashes the whole you know kind of the accessibility, the collaboration that people can do in in cloud. That is also you know super strong. The global reach, think of the global reach, because, you know, most of our cloud providers, they have data centers pretty much in every corner of the globe. So if, you know, if an organization have to support customers in Asia Pacific or somewhere else in the world, they don't need to set up their servers in, in, in Americas. They can set up the servers closer to where the users are, um, you know, so that way the latency will be less, the customers will have a better experience, and not to say if there are like data sovereignty requirements we talked about, they can also put through those kind of requirements. So, so this was big during uh, COVID, right? The companies that were already moved to the cloud more than likely had a lot smaller um, hurdle to overcome to keep people working because they could work from anywhere mm -hmm. as long as they had an internet connection. They could still access their resources in the cloud. Yep, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. One, go ahead. You were saying something. Well, well, I was just saying that it's that flexibility. It's how, and accessibility. And I, I love how you tie collaboration in there in there too, because I can access it from anywhere. And anyone on my team that and we do this at Intel, right? I mean, my team, we're scattered in five different time zones. Yep. Right. So I can access my data anywhere and I'm not hitting the corporate network to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty slick. The other thing I wanted to mention, I mean, this is probably a new angle that has come up. So, I mean, if we if we see, let's let's take the example of AWS. So, when uh, within the within AWS there is uh, something called the well-architected framework, there are five pillars before. Now there is a sixth pillar, which is sustainability. Right. So the environmental impact. So, a lot of our enterprise customers, for very right reasons, also have a sustainability goal, right? Like a you know greener right. kind yeah. of a goal, and Cloud is probably something that helps to fulfill that to some extent because most of these cloud providers, they operate at such a gigantic global scale. They have all the you know goodness of baking in all the sustainability controls and the carbon neutral footprint and everything. So if a customer is using cloud, they inherently get some of those benefits that they can establish within their sustainability goals and their environmental goals they have as part of their organization. So... It's a new angle. It's 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 developing, but this is also something I'm hearing from some of the customers in, in some recent that, That's really interesting. So if I have a sustainability goal in my company, I can leverage what AWS and Google and Azure are doing as far as sustainability because they can run their data centers more green than I can. True. Right, and at much much higher scale than than I can. Yep. So I'm actually I'm actually contributing to my sustainability goals of the company as well. That's that's a really interesting angle. Yep. And the way I kind of see this intersects with you know how we um, you know kind of drive our you know kind of optimization story from Intel perspective is whenever we have come up with a newer generation of Xeon in in, in cloud that is obviously better performant than any previous generation, right? So that means when, when customers are making an effort for you know, legitimate reasons and justifiable reasons to operate their workload on the latest generation of Xeon, they can actually use lesser compute cycles to do the same work that they were doing before. Now, if you translate that compute cycle into you know, some uh, metric that gives you uh, some you know reading based on how much you know energy you're using, you are coming green because now with the newer Xeon, you can use lesser compute cycles to do the same work. So that's another way a lot of customers can see benefit of using cloud services on latest and greatest Intel architecture to be able to address some of the sustainability goals. If I want the latest and greatest technology, I don't have to buy it for my own data center. I can try it out in a cloud first. Absolutely. Because the cloud service providers are getting um, Intel's latest Xeon processors at the same time the OEMs are, right? So they're able to deploy it much faster than me deploying it on-prem. On so maybe I do have a workload that I want to keep on-prem in production. I can do my development and try them out in the cloud first on that new silicon before I bring it um, in-house. That's that's pretty clever too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, any other things around 
around my cloud strategy is I'm trying to put this all together. You've given me some business things to think about and some understanding on the benefits of cloud. What other things do I need to worry about around my um, cloud strategy when I'm developing my strategy and operating model? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need to, like, like I was talking about, you need to think of, you know, um, how to determine that, you know, what applications you will want to move to cloud when you are uh, migrating, right? So it, it's not an easy, easy decision because a lot of our enterprises, they have been built over the years with hundreds and thousands right. of people yeah, yeah. with many, many dependencies in place. So there, you know, there is one phase in every cloud migration, which is kind of, you know, planning and assessment. I feel like that is one of the most important phases because in that planning and assessment phase is where you really want to discover what you have in your environment. And then as you look at it, you figure out, okay, what applications I have, what licenses do I have, what are the terms and conditions of those licenses, you know, looking at the applications and try, really trying to understand that, okay, is this an application that will benefit from the benefits of cloud, right? So the benefits of cloud, like we talked about, flexibility, scalability, if that application is probably something your backend report that runs a data warehouse report at the end of the day, I mean, really, if there is a need to move that application to cloud versus another application which is your customer facing and actually is your kind of, you know, bloodline or like money-making application. So those kind of considerations absolutely need to be done. And, you know, there are many ways to do it. There are, you know, things like six hours of migration, which talks about whether you want to re-host, re-platform, refactor, uh, retire. I mean, retire, we have also seen some applications that don't have much business value, so they can sunset and retire at some point with, with the right, you know. So, so this is a really good time when you're doing your cloud strategy to clean house uh, with all the application because everyone has it. Everyone has application sprawl. It, oh, I bought this stuff, oh, but I'm not really using yeah. it or I've got one person using it, but it's costing me a lot to keep it up and, and going. So Interesting. Uh, it, it sounds like this is just an opportunity to really um, change the way that you do business. Whether you move to the cloud or not, your strategy is to understand better what's going on with your data and applications in, in uh, your organization. And as you do that, also, you know, look upon the application and really understand that whether it is better positioned as a hybrid cloud offering versus a private cloud versus a public cloud because certain applications will, it's, there is no one size fits all. That statement is so true in any aspect of, you know, of a cloud conversation. So, so has your opinion changed um, moving over here into Intel where now you're talking to several different clouds and customers? That has, that's, uh, I'm glad you asked it because during my days at AWS, the only thing that I really wanted to do two things. Number one, help my customers be their best right, yeah. in their best interest. But at the same time, um, you know, bring value back to Amazon by migrating the application on, on, on the cloud platform. But here, there, you know, as you know, I, I have been part of, you know, conversations where customers have, you know, decided to repatriate from, from cloud to somewhere else or repatriate to one cloud versus multiple clouds for legitimate reasons. We see that a lot in government because in government, there is a lot of applications that need to work, you know, with, with cross portability. There's right. vendor yeah. lock-in, right? So things like that have come to much more light and much more significance in my experience here at Intel, which I didn't have before. Well, hey, th this has been w wonderful, Rajiv. Um, 
thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show, giving us insight into um, strategy. And uh, for those that are listening, um, Rajiv is going to be joined by several other cloud solution architects at Intel talking about different aspects of this migration and, the, and this cloud strategy. So, Rajiv, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Darren. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.